You're listening to another great podcast in the Stoplight Network. Welcome to Tech Fan. To hear the rest of this podcast, please send PayPal 50 cents to Tim Robertson at mymac.com. Welcome to Tech Fan Podcast number 125, the real 125. Hi, David. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm well. So uh, let's start off with some feedback we got. Um, Owen Rubin, do you have that in front of you? You know what? I knew, as you said the word feedback, I thought he's going to want me to read it out. I am. <laughs> I have my email open. Let me just find it. Okay. So Owen Rubin, uh, he co-hosted the show a couple weeks ago. He yep. is a longtime tech guy, worked at Atari, worked at Apple. He's currently a, a game developer. Uh, oh. I'm, I'm, I, I think his game's going to be released soon, I hope. I'm well, he, I mean, he's a, long, he's a long-time game developer. He, he is. He's, yeah, he wrote games at Atari back in the coin-op days. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, Major Havoc, I think, was his uh, most well-known. Yeah. But he worked on a number of games. Uh, very smart guy. Uh, I, I love having Owen on the show. But the nice thing about, you know, um, the eclectic people that we have on the show from time to time is they don't always agree with us. And in this case, uh, Owen doesn't agree with something that I did, which is my review of Candy Crush Saga. Um, And he wasn't the only one. There was a few people who disagreed with me. And that's great. I love that. Yeah. And... uh, I don't want to talk about the other person who disagreed with me because that's a personal thing. <laughs> yes. You know what it is. Yeah. Um, but I will say that the other person wanted to tell me that, no, this is a free game. And I said, no, it's not a free game. And they said, yes, it is. And I said, so I pulled up iTunes and I said, then how come it's the top grossing app in the iTunes store? So... And there's no debating that. It's the top grossing no. app. But yet, yeah. well, wait a minute. I, I thought this was a free app. What's going on? So do you got that uh, email from Owen? I've got it here. He says, uh, you know, usually you and I agree most of the time, but your discussion in TechFan is wrong. <laughs> he says, I've been playing Candy Cross Saga now for many weeks, and I've not bought anything. You can win any wave if you put a bit of time into it. They've also incorporated Facebook well into the game where you and your friends exchange lives and helpers and it's built right into the game and does not have to post your timeline. It is marketing. It is not marketing in a classic sense and makes a one-player game a two-player game in a way. It is not bejeweled. It is similar. It has a lot of differences and they make it quite different in the play if you get into it. Let's stop right they there for a second. Sure. Um, I went and re-downloaded Bejeweled and he's yeah. right. They're not exactly the same. Candy Crush Saga looks a lot better than Bejeweled. But yeah. the core gameplay is identical. Where you select three or more yes. sim- uh, identical items to make them disappear. Correct. Yeah, so, and the, the aim is to try and get uh, kind of waves of... So you drop drop some things and then that lines up more which drop and that sort of thing. That's, right. that's the there would core be game. no There would be no Candy Crush Saga without Bejeweled. Yeah. Plain and simple. It would not exist. Right. Well, Owen says they did a nice job of taking the bejeweled idea and expanding it. I agree with that. Okay. All right. So it's a derivative, but it's not the same. Okay. Fair enough. He says, I happen to like that it has limited live. It makes me put it down. As for buying stuff, if someone wants to play without buying, you can. And let's be honest about purchasing game. These kind of games you would never pay 3 or $4 for. Never. People want free... The cost in designing a game like this is not small. It costs a lot of money to build and design a game. If people want it free, then this is what you get. Okay. You want to stop uh, there? I'll, no. Well, no. I'm, what I'm going to do is is uh, is I, I want I've got a wider point about all of this that okay. I'm going to come to after I'm done. So, as for the time, is if you want to play free, that is the cost. If you hook in your friends on Facebook, then you get extra lives and you can play more. If you want to play, then you can pay. Think arcades of the 80s. They made you pay more to play more. 
the game is good, their in-app purchases are truly optional, and if people don't have self-control, that is their problem. And you are wrong about patience as well. I've not spent money on it because I have lots of things to play. So I have, so I play this for some time, then go play something else. It does not make me weak. It does not mean I do not get it. It means I have other things to do than play a game for hours. I argue that you two do not get it because you do not design games. Well, okay, Owen. Uh, yeah, I, I, would, I would agree with you that we don't get the business model here because we don't design games. I think, I think some of the criticisms we made in, in my opinion, despite everything that Owen said here, still hold up. And I, I sent you a couple of links this week in response to this thing. Um, there's been quite a lot of study of this business model, particularly in light of this game being so successful. And what I was surprised and somewhat disappointed to find out when I did a bit of research into this is that actually this is a game that looks at how much you are spending and then adjusts the way it plays based on how much you are spending. So effectively what it does is if it thinks you are a spender, um, early on in the game, if it thinks you are the sort of person who's regularly purchasing stuff from the game, then it makes the game extremely difficult. Um, It ramps the difficulty up very, very quickly to try and incentivize you to spend more because it knows you're already the sort of person who's put your password in and is is quite happy to spend on it. And, And it's that sort of stuff that is where I really disconnect from pretty much everything Owen says here. Yeah, I understand that these games cost money, that they've got to generate revenue, and that trying to get people to pay up front a few dollars for a game like this is difficult. I understand that. I also understand that, you know, it seemed to be a valid uh, marketing model for people who are into social media to get them to spread the word of the game via social media and incentivize them by giving them some free in-app purchases. What I really struggle with is that last point about the fact the game looks at how much you are spending and then changes the way it plays as a result of it. And this is where the problem, where people who have spent huge amounts of money on this uh, has come from. And, you know, Owen kind of suggests that when he talks about this being like an arcade, that you pay more to play more. But the difficulty with an arcade game is that once you became skilled at the game, uh, you could pay a long time for not very much money, whereas this effectively what it's doing is looking at how you play and it's, and the, it's been coded to, dis, to figure out how to get more money out of you. And it's an open-ended purchase. You go and spend $5, $10, $3, whatever it is on an iOS game, and normally that's it. With this one, you spend nothing at the start, but effectively the price of the game could be astronomical depending on who you are and and how it kind of psychs you out and those are the things i have a real problem with as i've said in the past i don't have problems with in-app purchases if they're fair Uh, i don't think it's fair here now some of the things that you sent me david clearly show that uh, the purchasing decisions on these games are kind of hidden they put things between you and actually spending money to make it seem more okay to spend money yeah. That, uh, in essence, it's really targeting the under 25 age group, children for the most part, who don't really have the same kind of concept that we do when it comes to in app purchases because their brains haven't developed enough yet to really make that decision making process logical. That they base their purchasing decisions on emotion. I want more. Well, this isn't fair. I, I, I have to. I, I need to spend more so I can play some more. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and I think it's. I think it's deceptive, and I think it's wrong, and I think companies that do it to the extreme that Candy Crush Saga has done it, um, is immoral. I, I don't agree with it at all. Yeah, they are using psychological tricks. One of the ones that, that's been highlighted is the fact that because you're not buying, you're not spending real money, you're buying in-app currency, and then you're spending that currency on things. That is a technique that's used to try and encourage you to spend more. Basically, it's the, diff- the example uses the difference between having a credit card and spending cash. People who spend cash tend not to spend as much as people who have who spend on a credit card because they see the cash leaving their hands and psychologically if you're spending something that's intangible like on a credit card or on an in-app currency 
it's easier to part with your money than it is if you're putting down a whole the card cash. So if the game said to you, okay, you've been playing for 10 minutes, if you want to play, um, if you want to uh, disable this next 10-minute timer, you've got to give me 50 cents, very few people will do that. But if the game says to you, oh, if you want to disable this in-app timer, you've got to give me a gold coin, oh, and you can buy a gold coin for 50 cents then that's a, a very different purchase proposition. A lot more people go for it, particularly if they've already bought the coins. And particularly if they're children. Or it, well, if exactly. the cortex isn't developed as a, you know, a post-25-year-old. Yeah. Exactly. And that's why, and that's the kind of thing that I think is deceptive. And yeah. it doesn't say it up front that, that it does this. If more parents were informed, like you and I are, I don't think this practice would uh would continue because we wouldn't yeah. allow our children to to spend money on in-app purchases now it still does come down to you hey you gotta you gotta watch your kids sure but what if your kid's 19 because yeah. studies clearly show that at 19 their their frontal cortex still isn't developed enough to rationally make the decisions that someone our age group or over 25 would make well, even at twenty fives and over, frankly, I mean, if you're a if you're a gaming addict, you know, if you enjoy gaming and you get into this game, yeah, basically the psychological cards are stacked against you. It's it's the game is incentivizing you to to try and try and encourage you to spend an open ended amount of money on it. So it doesn't matter. In, in some while, it's worse if you're underage or you're a kid or you're not well-developed um, mentally or uh, any of those things, even if you're 35, 40 and you end up spending a bundle on this game, you've still been deceived in some way because they've used psychological tricks to try and get you to, to, uh, uh, to, to part with your money. It's not, a, you know, Owen's very fortunate. You know, he sat down, he played this game and he didn't fall for any of those tricks. I would suggest Owen is quite unusual in that respect. And I would also suggest it's because he's a game developer that he didn't fall for these tricks. Yeah. That his argument that we don't get it because we're not game developers, quite honestly, Owen, this works against you. You are a game developer, so you understand these dirty, rotten tricks that they're using to try to get people to buy more. You understand that. Now, I understand it as well, and as does David, but I think a lot of people don't get it. And that's where I have a problem with this game. Now, look, I'm not going to sit here and pretend that, you know, marketing in general doesn't use psychological tricks to get you to buy things. That's the nature of marketing. But in this instance, I think it's wrong the way they're doing it. And I don't, I don't like that at all. And I'm going to speak out against it. I don't think it's a, it's a good practice. I think it has a potential to really harm uh, the indie game development movement, to be honest. Because yeah. it's going to be games like this that give the entire industry a very bad name. Including the games that you're making, Owen. That if the public backlash because of games like this and these deceptive tactics make it out there and more people think that oh well you know it's not coming from a big company so they're trying to cheat us and don't think that couldn't happen because it very well could um this hurts you in your future and the games that you make so yeah. i would think as a game developer you'd be one of the first people to stand up and go you know what this is not right now again fair in-app purchasing i don't have a problem with um yeah. i'm gonna give you some examples uh, Creeps HD. I love to play it on my iPhone. I love to play it on my iPad. It comes with a whole bunch of levels right off the bat. But if you spend uh, money to get all the levels, it's going to cost you like 10 bucks. Well, guess what? I've spent 10 bucks because these are additional levels that I could play. And I had no problem spending for these extra levels because I couldn't even see what these levels were, David. I could just see that they were available. Yeah. And it wasn't pushed in front of my face all the time. Oh, well, you've played two levels. You've got to stop if you want to play any more levels. There was none of that. It was completely transparent and upfront, and that's what I like. Transparency yeah. is very important. Well, it's interesting. None of these games, these freemium games, when you load them up, uh, give you anything to say, 
oh, uh, you, by the way, you understand the deal here. It's free, but you'll be paying at some point. None of them do. No. My wife loaded this game on her iPad. And as soon as it, she hit the first timer, she said, oh, she said, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not paying to play. I said, well, you know, the game was free. She says, yeah, but she says, but I, I, if I wanted to play it, I'd buy it. She said, I'm not paying just regularly just to play. So I said, fine, you have to delete the game. And she did. But a lot of people won't do that. Yeah. You know, and, and, and as and far course, as being patient and, you know, having other things to do, that's great. Again, when you're in our age group, it's quite a difference when you're eight years old playing this game and you're way into yeah. it. Especially with the social media aspect. Which you're not the supposed to be on they... Facebook to begin with if you're eight years old, and yet this is a child's game. Yeah, but but that's the, the whole point. That's another one of the tricks. It's like, well, send it to your friends, and then all of a sudden, all oh, your friends are, are three levels ahead of you. You're behind. Well, that's going to incentivize you to try and keep up with them. Mm-hmm. And if that means spending money, you might think, oh, okay, we're worth doing it to make sure that you know I'm on the same level as Bob or I'm ahead of Bob. It's a it's a deceptive game, and again, I don't like that. I I want this game industry to be held to the same accountability that any other industry usually is and should be held accountable to. And yeah, it doesn't I, I, seem I, like there's any kind of policing in this industry at all, other yeah, than he, guess what, podcasts like this. That's right. And, and, you know, I would make the comparison if you went to see a movie. Suppose you went to see the new Man of Steel movie and you're enjoying it. And half an hour in, the movie stops uh, and somebody comes out and goes, oh, who's enjoying this film? Five people put their hand up and it goes over and says, right, that's going to be another $2. Or, to you, see or you can wait for 20 minutes and we'll... Or you can wait for up. 20 minutes and then we'll yeah. put some more on. Yeah? <laughs> that's a good analogy. That's, that's effectively what they're doing. Yeah, but more and so. What's worse about what's worse than that is, in fact, this game is actually looking at how you're spending and it's adjusting the way you play. So I, just in 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 the same way that that article I read said that the uh, difficulty of the game ramps up massively if it sees you spend, I would imagine it works the other way. So if it sees you don't spend, then you're going to get more timers than the people who do spend. And I'm not talking about so. The, the number, the frequency of it imposing a timer and imposing a break on you is going to be dictated in the code by the amount of money you spend. So that if, you, if you're somebody who's buying things regularly, you probably see fewer timers than somebody who is not. And so Owen saw a lot of timers. And good for him, he was able to put it down and go and do something else. Yeah, but it's a lot easier, like I said, when you're our age group than a child. Yeah, but and, the point and is, your analogy the code, about a movie yeah. would be better served if it was a cartoon that you're watching at home. Yeah, you know, a kid's but, watching and, a, a cartoon, and oh well, guess what? You, you have to order a higher package on your cable if you want to continue to watch this show, or you need to wait 20 minutes and then you can continue. And that's the kid right. Goes the screaming thing is, at the parent. What's the parent going to do? Yeah, yeah. Well, and this the thing is, is a good as well, lesson to, yeah. for you, Johnny. So. You have to learn patience. Yeah, good that's luck right. with that. But, but the people who are patient, who wait the 20 minutes, get 20 more minutes and then it stops again. And then 20 more minutes where it stops again. Whereas the people who pay the upgrade for the cable, well, they get an hour before it stops again. You know, that's, diff- that, that's, that's what, in, in my mind, that's what makes it even worse. If the breakpoints, if the timers, if the difficulty ramps and everything are the same for every gamer, whether they pay or not. Yeah, and you either pay to to get over the hump or you don't, then that's a different thing. But this game is actually responding to how you spend in order to try and encourage you to spend more. It's despicable. Um, and that, well, it's 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 not something that I think anybody would remotely accept in any other walk of life. Oh God, no, no. But, but somehow, because well, hey, it was free and, and games cost well, money. Because it's well, just sure, a game, but... and it's and it's only a little bit of money. It's not expensive. It's less than a cup of coffee. You know, that's fine, but at least have... If you're going to have that sort of model, you know, whatever it is, that's fine. But have the alternate as well, where you basically, you plunk down your 5 your $10, whatever, and you get everything. Yeah. And then that's the end of it. Or, at the very least, transparency. And, yeah. And I think that's what my biggest concern is here, is there's just no transparency. And because the game seems very popular, you see all this stuff on Facebook, your friends are posting about it and stuff. Um, you know, 
it seems like it's an okay thing. Well, everyone's doing it. Well, that doesn't make it right. And, and not only that, it's a slippery slope because once this really takes off and gets widely adopted, then what you get is the next level, which is, okay, well, yeah, that we, we did, we did in-app purchase like that with, uh, you know, responsive in-app purchase with the freemium games. Let's add that to the $2 games. Yeah. So you pay $2 and then you're still playing. And yeah, at some point, all of a sudden, you're then on the uh, in-app purchase routes. Yeah, and once that's successful, then it's, well, the $5 games and then the $10 games. And before you know it, all games, whether you pay up front or not, still trying to extort money from you as you're playing. And not just with, you know, costumes or uh, levels or something like that, but actually functionally how you play the game. And that is where we'll end up because, you know what, companies want to make money. Absolutely. So with that, we're going to take our first break. And I'm going to actually play uh, our own advertisement here david it's an ad for tech fan i'm really kind of uh, proud of it uh it, it's different and uh, i want uh, people listening to this show to hear our new ad so hold on one second hey man this is tommy chong man and people ask me hey tommy how bad was jail, man? And I'm like, yeah, man, it was bad, you know? And they asked me, man, what I do in jail, man? Man, I sat there and listened to Tim and David on the Tech Fan Podcast, man. And you can, too. Just check them out at www.techfanpodcast.com, man. We're on the Stoplight Network, man. It's far out. So that's our new ad, David. I uh, hope you enjoy it. Uh, yeah, it made me feel very, very trippy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, of course, that's, uh, it's not the real Tommy Chong. Uh, and we do have another ad that featured both Cheech and Chong. You know, growing up in the 70s, my parents were, um, I don't want to say hippies, but about as close as you can get. And, yeah. you know, they smoked pot when I was a kid. And so Cheech and Chong was very well known in my household. And as a kid, you know, you hear your parents listen to these albums, and, and uh, I would watch Up and Smoke in the middle of the night when I wasn't supposed to be up. <laughs> yeah. And so Tommy Chung and uh, Cheech Marin had a, a huge impact on me growing up. I mean, I used to try to do the voices all the time. Yeah. And uh, I don't know. I, I, I came across this site, uh, thanks to another group of podcasters that turned me on to them. And uh, it was five bucks to... to have this ad made and i thought yeah i'll give it a try what's five bucks right it's uh -huh. not like there's any hidden costs in there that they give me half an ad and if i like it i could pay another five bucks and get the rest of the ad <laughs> yeah and so uh yeah it was just a voiceover i added the the music and all that but i like it it's fun cool um a little bit of bad news here david uh douglas engelbart uh passed away at 88 uh Douglas Engelbart, most people don't know that name, but we're starting to come up on that time in our history, um, and I think Steve Jobs was really the very first big name in the technology field, in the computer age, to, to pass away. But yeah. we're going to start losing some of these people at this point in time. Yeah. And Douglas Engelbart uh, was a brilliant inventor. Uh, he invented the mouse. And, yeah. you know, we don't use a, a mouse per se with, say, a MacBook Pro. You have a trackpad, but you wouldn't have the trackpad if it wasn't for the mouse. That's kind of where it started. A pointing device for your computer interface. And it sounds like a very simple thing now, David, but wow, it's it's not a very simple thing. Well, no, I mean, you know, I remember early in my computing career, um, I mean, I was, I was in I was using computers for many years before I first came across a Windows any sort of Windows interface, um, and then and then that was in my own computer. That was a that was a Commodore Amiga that had a, a Windows interface. But then when I went into actually working in computers, it was back to uh, DOS again. It was back to command lines. Yeah, and um, you know it was. In fact, I was I was the guy who encouraged my first company to move from DOS-based system to Windows 3.1-based systems. And that was the first time many people there had ever used a mouse. 
Um, and, it, and it's not just the mouse hardware itself. Without the mouse, you wouldn't have... I mean, without the mouse, the pointer and Windows system doesn't work. That's right. So, yeah, you know, I mean, the, the fact that he was able to come up with a, an elegant engineering solution to being able to move a pointer on the screen has actually driven everything that we've had from then on. It's, a, it's an incredible engineering marvel that most people, probably including us, kind of take it for granted at this point. But at the time, it was amazing. And I think it's important that we recognize these people. And I would, I would rather recognize them before they pass on than after. Yeah. Um, and if I had a, an interview show where that's what we were doing, I would start getting a lot of these people on immediately. Uh, unfortunately, time constraints being what they are, we don't do this full time. We don't really have that option. But I actually yeah. did meet Douglas Engelhart, Engelbart sorry, uh, a couple years ago at the Macworld Expo. Uh, I mm-hmm. was going outside, um, and I saw him. He was talking with someone. And the funny thing was, most people wouldn't recognize him. I mean, who would? Yeah. But I did, because I was kind of into the history of technology and computers. And so I knew who he was. And when I came back inside, uh, I saw him, and he was standing alone. And he was you know mid 80s at that point uh probably 84 so this is probably about four years ago and i went up to him and i introduced myself and we started talking and i had about a five minute conversation with him and then someone from um i don't know cnet or somebody wanted to do an interview so he had to leave but and honestly i can't really remember what our conversation was about but we talked for about five minutes and then i moved on and i thought that was very cool yeah and uh, but yeah. I, I remember thinking, wow, this is a, a really smart guy, and even at eighty four, he was he was extremely sharp, and really knew his stuff. And you could tell he was happy to be there too. That some people actually knew who he was, and he was getting some of the, I think, well deserved recognition. So that was kind of neat. But yeah, he uh, he passed away this week, and I thought. We should definitely mention it here on TechFan because this is yeah. a, a fan of technology. That's what this show's about. That's right, yeah. Uh, I mean, I was gratified during the Olympic ceremony, the opening ceremony last year that um, Tim Berners-Lee was, was on. Of course, again, nobody really knew who the hell he was. Yeah. Uh, even though he was in the middle of the thing, of course, the guy who, who came up with the idea for the World Wide Web. Uh, and again, another guy who has not... Um, has not directly profited from from the idea um these these ideas come about as scientific research or as adjuncts of scientific research and often do get released at effectively to the public at large um you know uh without necessarily being i mean nowadays it'd be locked up in a startup and patented to to hell on high water or yeah, nobody else would be using a mouse if he invented it now. That's for sure. Yeah, nowadays, nowadays, what would happen is the mouse would work for ten minutes and then it would pop up and ask you for fifty cents. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or you can use it in twenty minutes if you want. <laughs> You're prepared to wait. It's uh, yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> uh, so I had the chance yeah. to uh, play some more with a Samsung Galaxy. What is the new one? S four or S three? S four. The S four. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I the more I play with one of those phones, the more I want an iPhone at that size. Now, granted, yeah. um, I don't like the OS. I don't like Android very much. It feels it still feels kind of clunky to me. Yeah. Um, it, it's just not as elegant. And the phone itself is honestly, it feels like cheap plastic because it is. It is. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, that screen is really nice. I have to say. There, yeah, there is something to it. I mean, you, you you remember when I was in Hong Kong last October, I bought that cloned Chinese Samsung phone. Uh-huh. Uh, and that has kind of, uh, it's about 5.4-inch diagonal screen. And you're right. It, provide, it The key thing is making the phone thin enough. If the phone is thin, then you don't really notice the extra size. It doesn't feel too bad if it, as long as it still f- slips into a pocket. Um, and that extra screen real estate is kind of nice, you know. Because at the end of the day, you are touching things on the screen. You know, the bigger the screen is, the easier it is to touch things with your finger. Um, so, so yeah, there, it is. It is. It is nice. I, I agree with you about Android. It, it's 
Well, I, I kind of take the view that uh, somebody who's computer literate can, will be able to get on fine with an Android phone. Somebody who's not computer literate who wants a smartphone is probably better with an iPhone. Um, if they can afford it, and if they can't afford it, they're better with a Windows phone. Um, because I, I, I find the nuts and bolts of making Android do what you want to do um, just a little bit too difficult for somebody who's uninitiated. Yes. You know. Um, but, you know, I, in fact, I recently recommended to my parents they were looking for a cheap smartphone that was fully unlocked so they could use it here and also in the States. Um, and we ended up coming down on a, there was a, a, there's a low-end Nokia Lumia phone running Windows Phone 8. Um, that's available very, very reasonable, less than two hundred dollars, fully unlocked. Wow! Um, and uh, and and I said to them, I said that's probably what you want if you don't want for iPhones, because the iPhone will cost you more than double that. Um, and uh, I know from experience, the Windows Phone Eight is is as much as they need because they're not interested in apps or anything like that. They they want email, browsing the web, and the phone, and uh, that that will do for them very well. Uh, I've I've interestingly enough, I'm I'm still still working very well with the um with the tablet i bought the windows phone tablet the windows 8 tablet i bought um i'm actually getting along with it quite well and i've installed the latest update to windows 8.1 there which which has made some you know fairly useful incremental improvements to windows 8 but it's funny windows 8 is one of those things you really fight with it for the first few days and then you kind of grog it and all of a sudden it becomes a lot more natural to you um, and uh, and you can kind of get on. You can kind of see what Microsoft were trying to achieve with it. It still jars between moving between the desktop and and the Metro environment, but um, you know, and you can still tell underneath it's still Windows, so it still does those peculiar things sometimes where something doesn't work and it throws up this peculiar OXC 0 f 3 b error message, which goes. You kind of look at it and go, "What the hell?" Um, yeah. <laughs> um, but I have to say, uh, for somebody who works in business with Windows a lot, um, it's very, very handy being able to carry a tablet that runs Windows. So one of the things I've been using a lot more lately is I went back to my Kindle Paperwhite. Right. And uh, I, I forgot how much I really like the actual Kindle. Not the Kindle app on my iPad or my yeah. you know, Kindle Fire, but the actual Kindle White. Such a nice device. You know, I gave my uh, Kindle Touch to Brittany, our 18-year-old. Yeah. And, you know, I wiped it clean so she could start her own account on there. But I ran into a big problem, David, and that is even for the free stuff, you have to have a credit card on file with Amazon before you can download anything. Did you know that? Uh, I didn't, but it doesn't surprise me. Well, here's her problem. She just graduated high school. She doesn't have a credit yeah. card. Uh, we went and tried to get her one of those. Um, uh, it's a Visa card, but you put money on it, right? Yeah. Well, the company that provides those cards couldn't verify her information. I don't know what that meant. I think what it means is she has zero credit out there. She's never done anything. Yeah. So they would not give her one, but they gave her the temporary one that you buy before. Um, yeah. And she used that to open up an Amazon account, but it looks like she's going to have to go buy those temporary cards each and every time, which means, you know, her Amazon account's going to have all these, you know, one-time or however long-use credit card numbers. And I thought, eh, you know, why can't she have a PayPal account? Why don't they do that? Well, Amazon doesn't use PayPal at all. And I kind of get no. it. It's from a competitor, but still. They're, they make it very difficult. In fact, it's it's impossible to use Amazon at all without a credit card. Now, Apple is the same way with iTunes. You have to have a credit card for the initial setup. Now, Apple will allow you to use PayPal, but not for the initial setup. You have to provide a credit card number right out of the gate. And uh, <clears throat> I kind of get it, but... Man, it, it, it makes it very difficult for young people to, to get into this stuff, you know? You yeah. have to have a credit card. I don't, you know, I knew the credit cards were everywhere nowadays, but man, I didn't realize that almost anything, you have to have a credit card before you can do anything. Well, certain, yeah, certainly in the States, it's the same. It, it, it's, it's not quite the same here. Um, 
in the you know we we only recently started making moves to abolish the check uh, and um, that has meant that credit cards are becoming more important in the UK um, but you know there's still an awful lot of people here who don't have them there's a lot of people here who don't have bank accounts um, and you know they they can struggle with a lot of this stuff um, I suppose the business perspective on that is that those people who don't have credit cards aren't ever going to be great customers anyway so why accommodate them but I don't know. Here's one neat thing that um, I, I had no idea I could do this, to be honest. And you think I, of all people, would know. I knew I could send stuff to my Kindle, but I didn't realize I could set it up so other people could email documents directly to my Kindle, including PDF files. Right. Did you know that? Uh-huh. I didn't no, know that. No, I didn't. Mm-mm. So um, there's an author out there that we've actually had on the show, Richard Phillips. Yeah. Uh, did you ever read that trilogy of books that he released? I've read the first one and half the second, but I've never finished them. Yeah. I actually really enjoyed them. Um, yeah, I like them too. Because I you know, I became friends with the guy, I'm kind of on his uh, early access list, and he yeah. has a new book coming out. I think it, it, it might come out this year, but maybe early next. But he has a first draft, and he wanted to send it out to a select group of people so we can critique it and let them know what we thought and that's those sort of things. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I he can't send it to me unless I give him access. And it was really simple to do on Amazon.com. I just basically entered the email address he's going to send the document from as an approved person that can send documents to my Kindle, and boom, it was there within seconds. I thought that was pretty cool. But because he sent the document to my, you know, my physical Kindle White, I thought, well, that's it's great, but I won't be able to read it on my iPad. Oh no, it syncs over there too. So that was pretty awesome. Yeah. I, I gotta say, when it comes to ebook reading, and I know Apple's in court for blah blah blah, when it comes to iBooks, nobody beats Amazon when it comes to ebooks. They nobody does. It's it's a superior platform, and I'm really impressed with it. I yeah. really am. Yeah, I, I, I think the only the only place I see where Amazon really seems to have missed a trick is is kind of magazines and that sort of thing. They don't seem to have ever really kind of got into that in a big way. And and you know, magazines, reading magazines electronically is something that's still hugely important to me. Uh, and uh, I don't you know, read I kind very many wish, magazines anymore, to be honest. But but I think the reason a lot of people don't is because the magazine publishing platforms that that are electronic terrible. are terrible. Yeah. Zinio is is the biggest one, and it and it you know it has a lot of problems. It really doesn't work that well, um, and that you know is really missing the 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 problem of you know the, despite the fact you can get the Zinio app on pretty much any platform, um, it it doesn't have the cloud sync. So you know if you're reading something somewhere, uh, or you've downloaded uh, magazines on one device, you go to another device. It's like they're, they're not talking to each other. It doesn't know what you downloaded. Doesn't know where you're up to. Um, and that is really is the, is the to me is the magic of the of the uh, the Kindle platform is that you know you can be reading on one device, put it down later on you come to pick up something else whether it be your phone or your uh, your iPad or or your computer or whatever, um, load up the thing and it immediately says well this is where you're up to and syncs you there and that is incredibly useful. I also think that the pricing for magazines, I understood when they're on newsstand you're getting a physical copy and the. It, you know, it's going to cost more. They had to kill trees, and they had to turn it into paper, and they had to distribution and ink. and I mean, there's a lot of work before you even get yeah. to the content to produce a physical magazine. Hell, even the staples to hold the pages together. You know, at the, at the yeah. print runs that they have, especially in, at the height of magazines in the 80s and 90s, that wasn't cheap. There was, there was real cost involved. My issue is... If I want to read a digital copy of a magazine, now I've got newsstand on my iPad. I think everybody does. I think it comes there, and you can't get rid of the damn thing, yeah. um, which I have a problem with. But regardless, uh, there's a couple of magazines that I've actually downloaded in newsstand and was interested in. One of them is Classic Pop. It kind of uh, is an 80s-centric magazine, and it kind of looks back in history, but it also tells if these artists are doing new stuff now. There's links to like previews of songs, and it's really kind of neat. My problem yeah. is it's five ninety nine an episode or for uh, an issue. 
Six bucks. That's crazy. Yeah. You know, I downloaded yeah. the free one that they had, and I really enjoyed it, but if I'm going to read it every month, I'm going to spend six bucks? I don't think so. Now, if it was five ninety nine for 12 issues, no-brainer. I'd do it in a heartbeat. But yeah, I, I suppose... Episode, the, yeah. The, the problem if you're a periodical publisher is that the um, your advertising rates, you want to try and protect those, and you want to keep them as, po- as far as possible at the dead tree level. So if you discount your um, if you discount your content just because it's gone digital only, and I've had um, periodicals that I've subscribed to that have done that, they've literally said, right, well, we don't publish it on paper anymore. If you want to read it, you can only read it uh, electronically, uh, and yet the price remains the same. Right. Um, and you, and you do kind of think, oh, hang on a minute, if you're, you're if you're saving all that cost, how about giving me a share of that? But I think from their perspective is, well, they're they're advertisers; they want to continue to charge them the same amount. And so they can't afford to to uh, lower the cost of content. Right. So it, it's kind of a it, it, it's it's a difficult thing to do. It's uh, not. It's because they're short sighted. They they think that uh, the content should be paid, and they should have advertising. Well, it doesn't really work that way, and it doesn't work. Yeah, that way very I, well. I understand that. I, I, the the problem is if you look at if you look at obviously if you move from um, paper to digital. Then you're moving for effect. I mean, let's face it: a, a magazine or a periodical on an iPad is is it's just like kind of like a self-contained website. There's such a gulf between print advertising rates and uh, web advertising rates. You know, one is is many, many, many more times valuable than the other because web advertising rates are so low. Um, that's that's what they're trying to protect themselves from. Yeah. People turn around saying, "Oh, you're going digital only. That means you're, now you charge web advertising rates rather than." Uh, well, they screw the themselves there, though. I mean, if the entire industry would kind of wake up a little bit, uh, that would change. But more importantly, yeah. when it comes to magazines, it, that really is a different beast in a different publishing um, industry than newspapers, for instance. Yeah, I think that. Look, at the end of the day, if people aren't reading your content. I don't care if you're giving away advertising for free. It's not worth anything because no one's reading it. No one's seeing those ads. But if you're charging six bucks for one magazine, a digital copy, you're not going to get that many readers either. So if you reduce the rate for your consumption to a reasonable rate where you're going to get a lot more eyes on the product, then your advertising is worth more. Thus, you could charge more in advertising. So a magazine like Classic Pop, while I think the content was really good, it's not $6 a month good. Yeah. That's my point. Yeah. Yeah, I, I know. I don't, don't get me wrong. I do understand what you're saying. Um, it, it's, it's a tough one. It, it really is. For me, the convenience of digital magazine publishing still wins out over the cost. The fact that I, I have a couple of magazines that I read for work purposes to keep me up on enterprise computing and that sort of thing. And the fact that I can have all my back issues with me on one device, whereas before, I, I mean, I, I, often, I often had a whole stack of them to read because yeah. physically, you know, I couldn't carry them around, you know. That's right. Um, um, is, is, is where it wins for me. But yeah, it would, I, guess, I guess from a consumer point of view, it would be nice if it was, if it was cheaper. Well, I, cheaper, but just more accessible. And I think at six bucks yeah. a pop, that's not accessible. I mean, yeah. how many people would be interested in that as soon as they see six bucks are going, ah, I'm not spending that. I think a lot of people would. Now, thankfully, yeah. with the digital format, you can let people have a preview and they can decide for themselves whether they want to spend the six bucks to get it. Again, kind of in-app purchase, but not really. And it's not disingenuous. Mm. Um, yeah. By the same token, I can go to the pharmacy or the grocery store, pick up one off the rack, and stand there for an hour and read it if I wanted to. Yeah. So. 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 So on that, actually, uh, I had an uh, an interesting incident last week. I was down in London for a couple of days, uh, and um, I was staying kind of probably about forty minutes outside London by train um, because Wimbledon was on. I couldn't get a hotel in the city that was reasonably priced, yeah. and uh, so I I. I I'd finished the day's work and I'd been in the hotel all day and I, I took the train up to London to meet up my brother who lives near London, who I don't see very often. And we went out for dinner, you know, and that sort of thing. <laughs> and on the way back, I go back to the station, I realise on the way back that my, um, on, on the way in, I'd had to do a conference call on, the, on my iPhone uh, for work. 
and um, with that and the fact you know have you ever you ever tried doing a long phone call in a moving vehicle it kills the battery because you're hopping from cell to cell to cell yeah right. so the the i the, the, so the when I, we sat down for dinner i was on 20 percent the iphone by the time i got to the train station to get back to the hotel my iphone was was completely dead and i didn't have a charger with me or a battery or anything so I found myself actually in the newsstand thinking I'm going to have to physically buy a magazine so I've got something to read for the 45 minutes on the way back to the state to, to the hotel. <laughs> and it was such a bizarre experience because it literally is years since I bought anything like that. You know, I was not, you know, yeah. Yeah, normally you're on the phone or you're, you know, you're on the internet, so you don't need to do that. But don't you feel a little bit more sophisticated nowadays when you're seen sitting there reading an actual magazine or a newspaper than no. staring at your small no. phone? I, I felt like a freak. <laughs> I felt like a freak because I was the only person in the carriage reading anything on paper. Everyone else was looking at their phone. Yeah. I felt very, very left out. Time, time to buy one of those battery cases. Oh, I have, oh no, I have, a, I have a spare battery. I just forgot to bring it with me. Yeah. You know? <laughs> well, that's the trick. you got to remember to bring it, David. That's right, yeah. So we I should know. wrap up this episode of Tech Fan. Um, a little bit shorter this week, but that's okay. I'm sleep deprived because yesterday was the 4th of July holiday weekend here in the United States where we uh, celebrate throwing off the uh, manacles from this evil empire that once ruled us <laughs> so that meant you had to last night you had to suffer the annual oh battle of Battle Creek <laughs> I, I think yes I, you know it was it was ridiculous it really was I think it was the worst night I've experienced with fireworks and that's saying something. Um, I'm yeah. sure other cities and towns and what have you have the same problems, but I, I would wager that m- my town is one of the worst to live in when it comes to fireworks. Uh, I don't know if it's just because we're inundated with really dumb people where pretty lights and loud noises is the height of excitement for them uh, or what, but, man, it was there was window-rattling booms last night until, oh, two in the morning. Yeah. And, uh, it, you know, the police don't nice. do anything about it. No, the police don't. They don't care. Yeah. It's uh, it's frustrating, but it is what it is. I, I slept a little longer. We actually recorded the show an hour later than we usually do. Thank you for that, yep. by the way. That's but even, cool. even so, I still feel kind of discombobulated some. <laughs> it's like, ugh. It's, I hate it. I really do. But And if it was just one night a week, that would be or one night a year, that would be one thing. But there's a two-week building up process, and then there's going to be a two-week yeah. winding down process. That's Yeah, well, it, we have the same thing here for the uh, November 5th, which obviously is our big firework day with the uh, you know bonfire night. Yep. Um, and you're right. You're basically, end of September, um, the firework shops spring up. Yep. They normally, uh, you know, take empty storefronts and uh, start selling direct to the public. We and see so big you, tents. They, yeah. So you, you start getting them ramping up from there, and obviously the the, uh, the climax is November 5th. In fact, in recent years, they tend to stay out until New Year's as well. Oh. So you get, a, you get a bit of it so kind of after November through Christmas to New Year's Eve, and then New Year's Eve you get it again. Um which, yeah, it's not much fun, really. Do you call the police and say, hey, this idiot out here is lighting off fireworks and it's 11 o'clock no, at Because night. The, the police have uh, so much to do. and they, so You say that, resources. but how often do you see them just driving around not doing crap? No, not, uh, not, in, not in Britain. No? You hardly, you hardly ever see policemen in Britain now. Oh. You don't even see the bobbies on the beat. Well, like they need to, to hire more, then. Well, yeah, but there's money. We're, I mean, the thing is, the difference between um, Britain and America is we, we're in the, the hip deep in the, in the austerity thing, so all the public budget's been cut and the police oh, have been hit too. I mean, in yeah. fact, the, so, uh, the city that Julie grew up in, Springfield, Michigan, has just decided to suspend their police department, and they're going to tra- contract it out with either Battle Creek or the sheriff's department or what have you. But no, wasn't, we're, we're, wasn't, that the plot, wasn't that the plot of Robocop? It was. Uh, and I'm trying to figure out how I can, and you know, I'm not too far from Detroit myself, so yeah. I'm trying to figure out how I can raise enough capital to create the RoboCop because obviously 
it's coming to pass. It's taken a little longer than that movie predicted, but it's here. You know what, though? Skype has just gone to really bad. Oh, dear. Yeah. So with that, we're going to wrap up this episode of RoboCop fan page, or I mean uh, Tech Fan Podcast. Uh, make sure you check us out at techfanpodcast.com. You can send feedback in just like Owen did. Or, better yet, check all the shows out in the Stoplight Network. There's a ton of shows. You're going to find some kind of content that you like. If you like a, a tech fan type of show, we've got a lot of them in the Stoplight Network. You can check out the MyMac.com podcast. That's Guy and Gaz. Really fun podcast. Um, we also have Not Another Mac podcast with Mark Greentree. That's been running for a few years now. At Minute has relaunched. It's a brand new show. We've, uh, As we record this, we've got seven episodes in the can. And I've done a few of them. Um, Karen's done one. She's from the Mac Just podcast. Guest? Just? How do you say that, David? Just, just. The Mac Just, just. <laughs> we covered this last week. I know. I'm going to keep saying guest, though. Because <laughs> it irritates them. Uh, Three Geeky Ladies is going strong Club Nintendo Podcast So if you are a Nintendo fanboy or girl That's definitely a show that you're going to enjoy International Film Podcast There's a whole bunch of them Check it out at stoplightnetwork.com Subscribe And if you're using something other than iTunes For every one of those shows now There is a RSS feed for your podcast app link So you can subscribe directly to the show if you're using something else other than iTunes for podcasting, and honestly, I am now. I've talked about this uh, last week and the week before. I'm using Downcast. I think it's a much superior podcast uh, listening app than the uh, the Podcaster app from Apple. It's so much better. Um, and you're using something else as well, right, David? I'm, I'm using Instacast. Instacast. So there's two options right there. You could find links directly to all these shows at stoplightnetwork.com. You don't have to go through iTunes. I'm not going to do that anymore myself because I am in love with uh, Downcast. And it syncs really well, by the way, David. I actually have it running on iOS 7 on the iPhone 5, the one that I had to confiscate from work. Yep. It syncs through iCloud, and it works great. It knows exactly cool. where I left off on episodes on the other phone, and it just picks right up and keeps going. So that's Excellent. really kind of handy. So with that, we're going to wrap up this episode of Tech Fan. See you guys 